Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the April 2016 Mark Leverage podcast. Wonderful to have your company. Thank you for taking the time to join me. Gosh, isn't the year going fast? It's funny when people say that, isn't it? They go, um, oh, this year's racing by. Actually, actually, no, it isn't. You know, it's going at exactly the same speed as last year and the year before that, and as the same speed as next year will go as well. It's just that when we're busy or we've got a lot on our plate, uh, it does seem as if time accelerates and occasionally slows down. I've always thought that's a very strange thing. I suppose it must be all in our heads and the way we uh, perceive time, and yet time is exactly the same at all times. Funny that, isn't it? However, April is a month I really like because um, most years I make the trip out at the end of April to the 4Fs Close-Up Magic Convention in Batavia in New York State. Um, It's a fabulous three or four days of close-up magic and I've been going now for about a decade and uh, and I really, really enjoy the, the huge buzz that I get off attending this particular event. As I've said on previous occasions, it's one of the only events I know where, apart from the programme itself, where obviously there's lots of top close-up going on and lectures and so on and shows, but there is a lot of magic going on in the lobby and in the sort of hospitality room after the shows. It, there really is extra stuff going on. Uh, and some conventions claim that there will be, but to be honest, there isn't very much happening. Whereas 4Fs, you see some absolutely top people just impromptu with a crowd of people around them, sitting on a sofa somewhere, doing some magic. And some of the best magic and some of the most interesting stuff that you see often takes place in these little impromptu sessions. So it's absolutely fabulous, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to it again this year. Uh, last year, I, I spent the week prior to 4S doing some lectures, and I, I'm doing the same thing again this year. My friend Scott Miller um, from Ohio, he's um, sorted out uh, five lectures for me. And, and I'm really looking forward to this because it's an opportunity for me to, to, to get out and, uh, and to talk to and to meet people who I wouldn't normally get access to. Um, I'm going to be starting in Detroit, and then I move into Illinois, going to Peoria, then I'm in, going to Indianapolis, then into, into Ohio itself with two gigs, one in Dayton and one in Lima Fenley. So I'm really looking forward to doing those five lectures. And, um, and then that will lead on quite nicely to the, travel, to the, uh, the trip up to, up to Batavia for 4Fs and, uh, and that particular convention. My, um, my good friend Chris Payne, he, he'll be joining me for, for 4Fs. Um, he's been coming the last last few years now and uh, and it's great to have somebody from home who I can room with and who we can share the experience together and we really do enjoy enjoy the time that we get at 4Fs together so I'm really looking forward to that and uh, it's going to be a lot of driving with the lectures some of the um, lecture distances I tend to drive, I hire a car and, and I drive uh, I find it so much easier when you've got sort of... Uh, props and things that you want to take with you than trying to fly Uh, and also obviously it keeps the cost down a little bit Um, but it does mean some quite long days of driving but American roads are actually not too bad and uh, I've done it several times now so it shouldn't be a problem. So for the last two weeks of this month April um, I'm afraid my business kind of 
slightly shuts down uh, while I'm away. So any orders placed that require me to send something through the mail, um, I'll have to wait until I come back. Um, I'm coming back at the beginning of May, just after the bank holiday uh, in the UK. So um, then I'll be back uh, and be able to fulfill any orders that have come in in the two weeks, the last two weeks of April. So I hope if you do decide to place an order at that time, you'll be patient with me. Thank you. Well, of course, probably the most major event that's taken place in the last few weeks in the magic world is the demise of Paul Daniels. Um, I think the number of tributes that have come into Paul from all over the world, and, and not just from the magic world, but from the wider world of entertainment and television, shows you the tremendous sort of high regard that people um, had for him and and also the influence that he either directly or indirectly had on so many of us um, I mean I've always felt that his success in the in sort of late, from the late 70s through the 80s into the early 90s with his BBC television show uh, for 15 years he was literally the magician as far as the lay public was concerned and if you asked any lay, lay person to name a magician, they would immediately say Paul Daniels. No arguments. They didn't have to think about it. He became totally part of the of the UK entertainment scene. And the fact that his that his shows um, played on a Saturday night at peak time on BBC One for so long shows you that he was very big box office as far as television audiences were concerned. You know, he was on the same sort of level that Morecambe and Wise reached, for instance, and some of the other um, big name acts. And Paul was a tremendous credit to um, not only to um, the way that he actually did the shows themselves, the way he performed each week. He was having to, to cope with learning a whole set of new routines. And then he would sort of put them together with Ali Bongo and the others on the creative team, Graham Reed and the others. They would all sit round, they would choose the magic, uh, and they probably might not even decide until fairly late in the week, you know, which ones they were going to use in the show that weekend. And then Paul would have to practice them, get them up to speed, and then present them like he'd done them for years. And I think he made such a good job of it um, that he made it look very easy, um, even though actually it was very difficult. Um, I'm actually, at the moment, I'm reading his autobiography because I'm going to be writing um, for the next issue of Magic Scene uh, a sort of a tribute piece to Paul. And um, I'm just sort of filling in a few of the bits of background that I don't know about him. And um, I, I think that the, the amount of influence that he had on the lay people and therefore for the rest of us in terms of us getting bookings was um, inestimable, really. Um, he made magic mainstream. He made it really popular. He made it modern and current at the time and and set up so much interest. Um, in a way, I, I think that Dynamo has done for street magic and, and close up magic. Paul did for magic generally on a much broader sort of spectrum. And um, and I think he he was all of us, all the rest of us who have not been on television, but who just do shows. Um, we must have benefited hugely from his high profile. So it's extremely sad when somebody um, of his stature leaves us. Um, he he's leaving us at a time when it's and this happens, I suppose, every winter. Um, you, you tend to get a whole sudden flurry of of big names. Um, who suddenly disappear 
Uh, and once again, this year, the same thing has happened. Um, and he is probably, certainly in the UK anyway, is the biggest of them all. Uh, I, I saw um, uh, uh, a bit of a television program where on the, on the actual day of his death, um, uh, Debbie McGee went on television and was interviewed. And I thought she was very brave to do that. And she handled it incredibly well. Uh, sort of the questions that she was asked and the way that she answered them she came across so well and uh, and with all the the many many messages on facebook that have, that have gone to debbie uh, in this uh, difficult time for her shows how much uh, love and respect both she and paul Dennis have had for for everybody in the magic world When you're a strolling magician and you're working tables at a big function, one of the, um, the, I think, major problems that we all face as entertainers is that some of the tables are going to think that you're never coming to entertain them. The reason is because as a magician, we stand and we survey the room and we know that we've got to get around, let's say, 15 tables and we've got to do it in the time that it takes for people to eat a two or a three course meal. So let's say a couple of hours. And if like me, you're a sort of performer who doesn't like to entertain when people are actually eating, timing becomes very important. You start to look around the room to see how the, um, the, the meal is being served and cleared. If there's an order that the staff go to the tables so that, you know, if a table's just being cleared, then you, if you go straight to that table, it's going to be a little while until they've cleared all the others before they can start serving the next course. So it gives you that space to approach the table to do your work. But the problem is that although we as the magicians, we understand, we, we, we look across the room and we think, OK, I'm going to go to that table next. And then looks like the table on the other side of the room. I'll, I'll go there after that because they will have finished by then. So we have a sense of where we're going and it. And you may not be able to go in order of the tables. So the people sitting at the tables, they don't see any pattern. You know, they see one minute you're on one side of the room, the next minute you're on the other side of the room. There are maybe several times when you walk directly past them and you make no reference to them at all. You don't stop. And they think you're coming to them and then you walk straight past and go to another table. What they don't realise is the reason that you can't go to their table at that point is that maybe a couple of people still eating or it may be that you can see that there's plates of hot food heading for that table. But they don't understand that. And so what happens is they start to get slightly resentful or even irritated by the fact that, well, hang on a minute, why is the magician avoiding us? Now, I've always felt this is, this is a, a bit of a problem because there's always going to be some table that's going to be last. <laughs> it's it's inevitable you know if you've got tw 15 tables to do there is going to be the 15th table that's going to be last and they will have waited a very long time and although if you know that a particular table you're going to do it last you could go up to them and say listen i you're not i'm not at a stage i can come and entertain you at the moment i will be back in a minute but um don't worry i am coming to you and then you do that table last so that you've kind of forewarned them there's going to be a wait. So then they don't sort of get constantly disappointed every, every time you walk past. But if that's not possible, you are left in this situation where it could be a random table that ends up being last. 
Now, I, I did wonder, actually, because I've thought about this quite a lot, how, how to get round this. And I, I can't think of a cast iron way to do it other than, as I say, choosing a table and making it your last table. But um, I did sort of wonder whether I'm being just being paranoid and that actually, on the whole, tables don't really care when you come to them. They don't even care if you come to them. Well, I had proof uh, the other day that actually it does matter. My, my daughter, Chrissy, um, she and her husband went to a wedding in the Midlands and there was a magician working the wedding and he was going around the tables. And she had she was explaining to me how she had had and she didn't know that I was had been thinking about this issue. She said, oh, she said he was really good, the magician, but we thought he was never coming to us. He kept walking past. And we thought, come to us. Come to us. Where? Why are you not coming to us? And they, they started to talk about the table. Is he avoiding us? And she said and, and she said to me, I got to the point where when he finally came over, I felt like saying, Do you know what? Don't want to know now. I'm going to I'm walking away. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. She wasn't trying to be difficult. She was making a joke out of it, really. However, it, it showed me that it can have an effect, that by the time you get to the last few tables, it may well be that there is some resistance to you because they do think that you've been ignoring them. So if anybody's got any really good way around this, this problem, please do let me know. I would love to know how you get around it. Um, because as far as I can see, um, it's an almost impossible situation to 100% circumvent because there are always going to be tables that come last. And I suppose as, if you can talk to one or two tables to, to warn them, that's great. Other than that, what do you do? Any ideas? Over the years, um, I've organised quite a lot of magic ex events of one sort or another. Some, like my British Close-Up Magic Symposium, which ran from 1989 to 2005 every other year, some were quite large events uh, and took a lot of organising, a lot of various um, factors that needed to be brought together, even though the event itself was relatively small, in the sense it was only 100 people. But the logistics of it all and making sure that it would take place in the way that, that I wanted it to take place um, meant a lot of work. Um, and then I've also done a lot of smaller events, sort of more workshoppy type things and um, and forums and, and, that, and that type of um, more niche event. And the one thing I've learned from um, organising these events, and it seems to be true no matter how large or how small the event, is that no matter what you do, you will always upset somebody. It's a funny thing. You can try to think through every combination of possible problems and try to cut them off at the pass by making sure that they they just can't happen and you might well solve 90 percent of all possible issues but there will always be that 10 percent. sometimes it's just bad luck sometimes you've just got difficult people who come to the events who are quite frankly just spoiling for a fight sometimes and are just looking for things to complain about but there's, there's, it's almost impossible to get everything right. And so that's why if you have an event with the largest in the world, like Blackpool, for instance, you're never going to please people. You know, on the one hand, it's the biggest convention in the world. It attracts the greatest and most prominent acts in the world. It presents two and a half, three days of, of full-on um, magic shows, lectures, 
I mean, it's an absolute feast for anybody who's into magic. And yet you'll still hear people complaining, oh, it's too busy. It's too busy? Well, yes. See, for some people, a massive event with three and a half thousand people in a massive venue where, you know, the size of the audiences for the lectures and everything are very large, that that's not what they want. They may still go and then they'll complain about it. And you think, well, that doesn't seem very fair when you've got all this wonderful fair on offer. Um, so it's really, really difficult to organise events. Um, so, for instance, uh, I heard of one event where, in fact, this is true of a lot of events, but there was one recent event. And I asked somebody who'd been, I said, uh, oh, how did the uh, how did it look for the dealers? And because I'm always interested to know whether, you know, magic conventions still have any currency for the dealers at all. I don't think they do. But, you know, I, I'm interested to know. And he said, well, there were a few dealers there. He said, but um, they didn't seem to be doing any business because the trouble was that the program of events, there was there were virtually no gaps, particularly if a lecture or something slightly overruns. If you've only got, say, half an hour in between one event and the next and the, and the, 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 the first event over or lecture or whatever it is, show overruns by 15 or 20 minutes, people have just got time to nip to the toilet uh, and then they're back in their seats again. They have no time to go to the dealers. And convention organisers don't think this one through. They think, oh, we'll, we'll give the dealers a couple of hours over lunchtime. Well, that doesn't work either because... If people have been sitting in lectures for two or three hours or, or shows or whatever, then they, 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 they want something to drink. They want something to eat. They want to sort of unwind a little bit. They don't necessarily want to go straight from that missing lunch and go and study what the dealers have on offer. They'll pop in for a few minutes. They think, oh, I must go and get a coffee or I must go and get something to eat. And then they end up talking to friends, sitting around a table. And next thing, oh, better go to the next lecture. So trying to keep the dealers happy at almost any event, unless it's a, a just a dealer event where that's all there is, um, is very, very difficult. And then you have the balance of what the lectures and shows are. You know, the children's entertainers say, well, there was a general magic convention, but there was nothing for us children's entertainers to get excited about. It was all close up. Or you, say, or you might get, well, why do we never have a lecture on stagecraft or why do we never have a lecture on how to do um, parlor shows or stage shows um, you know no matter what you do as an organizer there'll always be somebody who says well why can't we have her so as i say having organized events many times myself over the years i do have a lot of sympathy for for any convention organizer trying to get it right for most people um, the fact of the matter is, as I say, I don't think you can. You just have to do the best that you can to put on something that you hope the majority of people who attend are actually going to enjoy. Last year, I was thinking uh, back over all the many, many tricks that I've released over the years. When you've been a magic dealer for 35 years selling just your own products, as I have, um, there are a lot of tricks that have come for, into the catalogue for a while, have kind of had their day as it were and then they get taken out some have lasted for the whole time that i've been selling magic and there's a sort of core of of top items which just sell and sell and sell but there are others which come and as i say have their day and then they then they they go they kind of move on the thing is that a trick that came out let's say in the 1980s and which was not been in the catalog say for nearly 20 years 
can come up fresh again. Things kind of go in cycles, don't they? You know, um, themes of tricks. Uh, and you can see that with the, with the new tricks that are being released at the moment. You know, things with moving holes uh, and, and currency changing in all different ways. There's sort of a couple of themes that are going on at the moment. And over the years, there's a lot of that. And you would often go to a convention and you watch a close-up show and you'd see three or four different versions of the same type of effect going on because that's the current fad. So I decided that, well, I've got actually some really nice tricks from my back catalogue, which, um, if I was to re-release them, might well find a new audience because a lot of the people who are into magic today, 20 years ago, weren't into magic at all. They might have even been born 20 years ago or certainly be too young to have been interested in magic. And so I've started um, to uh, release one or two um, of my former tricks and bring them back into my catalogue, sometimes with slight revisions and updates. Uh, and I've made a range called the Classic Leverage Range. Uh, last year I released Ultimate Jumbo Stretch, which is a lovely stand-up sort of um, jumbo stretching card effect, which has got a nice little sort of uh, surprise ending. And, uh, and this year I've just released last month a trick called Jumpers, which is, um, I think, a very clean and very nice card matrix effect. Four regular aces placed out on the table, two jumbo cards shown both sides. You cover over sort of two aces at the time, and in short order they all vanish and end up all top left. You then put the jumbo cards to one side, you spread them out again into the four corners of the mat. So you're going to do the same again, this time just using your hands as covers instead of the cards. And you sort of put your hands over that nothing appears to have happened. You say, oh, actually it has. And when you turn over three of three of the aces, they've now gone completely blank. They have nothing on their faces and all the card pips have collected top left on the card face there. The handling is, as I say, is very, very clean. You're showing the jumbo cards back and front at all times. Uh, and, and it's actually fooling for magicians. And it's certainly very fooling for, for lay people. So I brought jumpers back. Um, uh, it needs um, a special set of cards, which I, obviously I supply. Um, but um, one of these cards, um, I only have a relatively small um, number of. So, And I'm not sure whether I'll be able to get any more of these made. So um, if this sort of trick sounds like it might appeal to, please do go to my website and look up jumpers and watch the dem. And, uh, and if you do like it, then get your order in soon to make sure that you're not disappointed. So that's uh, the latest release then in my classic leverage range. You know, one of the things that I think we performers uh, need to remember is just how important some of the events that we entertain at are for the people who are having the event. You know, if you're going to, to somebody's wedding to entertain, then for the, the bride and groom and the families involved, it's a hugely important day. If you're going to a 50th, 60th, 70th, 80th birthday party, it might be a really, really major social function that takes place to in order to celebrate this particular birthday with family members perhaps coming from huge distances in order to join in and for us as entertainers of course it's easy to forget the importance of the occasion because for us it might be just the latest show that we're doing you know we if you do quite a lot of performing um, especially I think at busy times of the year say around Christmas or something like that it's easy to get quite blasé to, oh, God, here's another wedding or here's another dinner. 
um, without ever standing back for a moment and just thinking, now this wedding, look how important this is to the people. And and, and the reason why I mention this is because I, I did um, an 80th birthday party very recently and it was about um, only about 30 people and I was... Um, entertaining in the sort of the bar area while they were having drinks and then I went round the tables while they were having their meal and it was a really intimate sort of family occasion everybody obviously knew each other very well everybody from the people who were in their 80s down to children and grandchildren were there uh, and it was a really nice atmosphere and I suddenly thought to myself you know what a privilege it is for me as a total outsider to be able to come into this atmosphere, into this ready-made um, arena of goodwill almost and happiness and to be able to take part and, and to augment that by doing some magic and giving people a really good time. Uh, and at the end of my, the show, I, I, uh, the last table I did actually had the, the birthday lady on it. And and I said at the at the end, I said, well, look, um, it's been it's been wonderful to be with you. And I really do appreciate, I said to them, um, you letting me come and join you for your special 80th birthday celebration. And I really meant it because it, it was for them a, clearly a very important social occasion. And I wanted them to realise that I appreciated that and that I and that I liked the fact uh, and valued the fact that they'd allowed me to come and, and help them to celebrate it. And I think it changes your mental attitude to to how you feel about performing at certain functions. If you think about the emotion behind it and weddings, I know when, when I was father of the bride at my daughter's wedding a couple of years ago, I suddenly had a completely different view of what it must be like, what it's like for the people that I go and entertain at weddings, how they are emotionally feeling that day, because uh, it's a very big event. So, uh, yeah, so I just thought I'd mention that because it's uh, something that I, I've given me a brand new perspective on some of the shows that I do when I try to think about what it's meaning to the people who are there. When you're thinking of buying a new trick, maybe you're, let's say you're, you're watching a, a dem online. What is it that encourages you perhaps to take the plunge and part with some money to buy it? Is it, for instance, um, the fact that if you watch the dem and you're fooled by it, that you're more likely to want that trick? And that if you can work out how the trick is done, it then takes away a lot of the, that impetus or that um, enthusiasm that you might have had to buy it. Or, even if you're not fooled by it, in fact, even if you particularly can work out how it's done and you suddenly realise that, oh, I know how that works. That's a good method. I, could, I, I know I can manage that. I can perform that. Would that be a, a reason to make you buy it? Or is it the fact that you are perhaps got a, a version of the trick that you're watching and you watch the new version and you think, oh, now, I love that, the trick that I do already. I love my version, but that looks an even better version, so I've got to have it. So, Because I think there are, there are lots of different things that can in encourage us to buy magic. Uh, and, and I wondered what it is that's the most important thing. Because a lot of tricks that we buy, we're not necessarily... Well, I say we're not fooled by it. We may be fooled by it, or we may think that we've got the method when in fact we haven't 
Um, but I know that sometimes when, when people, for instance, um, come up to the stand and they watch me do a dem, and you get some people who have perhaps not that much experience. They go, oh, no, no, I know you did that one. No, no, oh, no, yeah, yeah, I've got that one. And I sometimes I'll say to them, yeah, but it doesn't matter whether you know it. It's whether it's useful to you so that when you show it to, to lay people, to non-magicians, whether they will be fooled by it, not whether you're fooled by it. And there are some people who don't see that. So, oh, no, no, if, if, they, you know, if they're not fooled by it themselves, they don't see any value in it at all. Now, for me, with my commercial head on, that's my commercial performer's head on, I don't see the logic in that at all. I'm not trying to buy tricks to show magicians, to fool magicians. I'm trying to buy tricks, if I'm going to buy something, that I can take and put into my working repertoire and that will enhance the offering that I give when I go out and do shows. So it's the lay people I need to fool. So it needs to be commercial, it needs to be practical, ideally with a with a presentation that I can make my own and adapt to my own personality. Those are the things that I'm personally looking for. But I wonder whether that's, in fact, not the same for other people. And that the key thing is, was I fooled by it? And if the magician goes, oh, I don't know how that's done. I've got to have that. I've got to find out how that's done. And I reckon a lot of tricks are sold because the, the person buying it has been fooled. And it's kind of suckered into, into buying it just to find out how it's done. And I think sometimes that's why people get disappointed when the method, they imagine some wonderful method, complicated, ingenious method, and it turns out to be a thumb tip or whatever, you know, a piece of thread. And that's why people get disappointed. So what is it that makes you buy magic? Have you ever thought about that? Do you need to be fooled or is that irrelevant? Right. Well, that was a quick half an hour. Now, nah, as I said at the beginning, it wasn't. It was half an hour, which went at the same speed as every other half an hour did yesterday and will do tomorrow. But it's been great to have your company. I do hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to my uh, musings and uh, I hope you have a great month. And I will look forward to being back with you again in May. Bye for now.